live streaming. Hi, welcome to the Football Outsiders Monday live stream. I am Aaron Schatz, Editor-in-Chief of Football Outsiders, and we are broadcasting right now on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, and Facebook. This is our regular weekday live stream every day at 1 o'clock Eastern. If you are watching us, please make sure to ask comments in the chat live. And if you are on YouTube or Twitch, please like and subscribe to the show. We're also available after the fact on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network, so make sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app and give us a five-star review so more people can find our shows. Uh, big news, uh, if you haven't heard during our other shows, FO Plus is now on sale for just 99 cents a week for annual subscriptions. It's a limited-time offer. It gets you all of our stats, analysis, fantasy research data, and betting information. Don't miss out on the limited time offer, 99 cents a week. You can access on footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe or through the link in the description of this show. Uh, Ian O'Connor is my guest, as he often is on Mondays from Edge Sports. Ian O'Connor is here to talk about big coaching decisions and big win probability moves in week nine, the crazy week of upsets. What do you think, Ian? It was an exciting, exciting day. It seems like the last couple of weeks, or at least the week before last, there was it was kind of a boring game or boring Sunday, and it wasn't a whole lot of action. And this week, it seemed like I was moving nonstop, running the model for a lot of fourth down, good fourth down decisions this week. It seemed like, you know, early, there were a handful of them, and they just kept on rolling in throughout the day and, and a bunch of swings, you know, overtime game, comebacks, you know. So we had a little bit of everything. A lot of um, – one big thing that stood out to me was there were four pick sixes yesterday, which were all – all pretty cool. Seeing a couple of them happened, you know, pretty close to each other. Um, but defenses came up big in some games yesterday, too. Uh, the biggest game of the day, probably the Titans at the Rams in the Sunday night football. Big win for the Titans without Derrick Henry, uh, although their <laughs> offense was not good in this game. They only had 3.5 yards per play. That's bad. But Matthew Stafford basically handed them the game with two picks. Uh, tell me about the win probability change of those two interceptions. Yeah, like you mentioned, the Titans offense not good. Seems like all their games have been ugly, but they just somehow find a way to win close games. Um, but yeah, Stafford, two picks in this game. One of them was a, a Wincian interception, if you will, from his own end zone, just kind of flinging it forward, trying to avoid a safety, which um, I forget who the rules analyst is on Sunday night, but said it actually would not have been a safety because the ball yeah, was actually outside um, of the Oh, I'm thinking Gene Steratore, but I think he's CBS. So that's right. Is it Terry McCauley? I think this is the Sunday night. Yep, yep, yep. That's it. Yeah, said that it hit the ball actually was outside. Hard to tell when you're Stafford, you know, you just avoid it. But but the interception and then they it, Titans got the ball at the one or two yard line. I think ended up scoring in the very next possession. Stafford throws the pick six to to Kevin Byer. Those two combined cost them twenty percent in win probability. Both of those fall outside of the top five, but they're pretty close. The um, the first one, I think, was like number seven, number eight, number nine. It was the the pick six was number nine um, in our most impactful plays. The the other one, because it didn't result in the touchdown, doesn't end up as high, but it essentially did result in a touchdown just a player or two later. So 20% almost between those two combined. And then Sean McVay on the other side or on the same side had a questionable call. It didn't make our top five. It was just outside. I think it's seven. Um, but essentially – kind of throwing in the towel at this point. I mean, fourth fourth quarter, a little over eight minutes left, fourth and goal at the four. 
they're down 18 at this point. So, you know, you need a field goal at some point, maybe three touchdowns, but you're inside the five yard line. You've got to go for that. I mean, a field goal that you're, you're not, you may not get that close again to getting a touchdown. Uh, at least get your, try and keep yourself in it a little bit better, but he chose to kick the field goal cost him 3.1%. It doesn't seem like a huge error. Uh, like I said, it's outside our top five. If this game had been closer, um, it would have been a lot more, but at the same time, kicking the field goal and they gave him about 13%. So that's a pretty big uh, relative drop in win probability by choosing to kick the field goal there instead of going for it. Um, like I said, kind of essentially just giving up on that saying, let's just take the field goal. Um, there really was no shot after that, you know, when the Titans got the ball of them. When it had, Ada, there were a couple bad calls, or at least one of those roughing the passers that could have gotten the Rams the ball back, maybe made things interesting around, I think it was five minutes left, but another one of those just terrible calls it seems like we see every week. Yes, Aaron Donald basically pushed Ryan Tannehill lightly in the back, and they called a roughing the passer on it, and I, I don't understand. It's one of the worst calls I've ever seen. Yeah. Who knows um, what would happen after that, but still, it would have. I think that was on a third and long. He had just kind of thrown the ball away. Would have forced yep. a, like a, pretty much a, a 99% of the time they're going to punt there, especially the Titans. It was a, a long fourth down. So unfortunate that we have to see that each and every week, it seems. The Titans continue to be the team that confounds DVOA. They, ro they rose from 20th to 14th with this win, but you're talking about a team here that has been outgained by its opponents, and they're only plus one in the turnover margin for the season. So that does not normally turn into a 7-2 and two record. And what's crazy is they've had the hardest schedule in the league. So without the opponent adjustments, they would be even lower in DVOA. And they have the easiest remaining schedule in the league. So even though DVOA doesn't think they're very good, the fact that they're seven and two with an easy remaining schedule gives them a clear inside uh, track to the number one seed and the first round bye. Is there what two and a is it two and a half games ahead of Indy as well? Oh well, they've got the division one. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, the, the, the division is pretty much locked up. It seems you know, like you said with the easy schedule remaining. Um, yeah, first round by, I mean, it's, we'll, we'll it's, see. <laughs> it's probably theirs, but this is just, I yep. mean, the fact is there's never been a team that was this low in DVOA at this point in the season that won a Super Bowl, uh, except maybe like the 2007 Giants, which is of course, mm -hmm. the, you know, one of the greatest upsets of all time. So, yep. um, and the fact is it's very rare for a team to be seven and two while being outgained by its opponents. Yeah. Um, so they're they're yeah they're they're they've won the division, but the big story now is whether or not they get the number one seed, and the fact that their schedule is so easy going forward makes it a lot easier for them. They got some help too with uh, Buffalo going down. Oh, they have the yep. tiebreaker over Buffalo anyway, but still that helps helps them quite a bit. Well, because it makes it more likely that they'll tie Buffalo. Yeah, and then that they have the tiebreaker. Um, before we get to our next highlighted game, just to remind you all, FO Plus is now 99 cents a week for annual subscriptions. Access this offer through this show description or go to footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe. A lot of close games this week. Close games are really essentially ties in this in this advanced stats. Uh, Falcons and Saints. You have some thoughts there about the big play to Cordero Patterson at the end of the game. Yeah, really been a revelation for the the Falcons this year. You know, big NFC South showdown. Really wasn't a ton in the in in terms of impactful plays, coaching decisions. 
Um, the Saints, you know, kind of went for it when they had to coming down late in the game. But the big play here uh, came from Matt Ryan, the Falcons. You mentioned Cordero Patterson. The, right after the Saints took the lead to go up, I think, 25-24, only a minute left. Falcons had first and 10 at their own 25. Matt Ryan hits Cordero Patterson deep down the right side, almost goes out of bounds, is able to stay and get all the way down to the Saints 11-yard line. That was good for a 50.9% increase in free snap win – or not sorry, in win probability – from, from play to play, it was the most impactful play of the week, essentially set up, you know, the, the chance for the Falcons to run the clock out. I think the Saints only had one timeout so the, the Falcons could take it all the way down. Um, with a, a young Waku game-winning field goal on the horizon, that's exactly what happened. And the, the Falcons pulled the upset there. So how I, I imagine the uh, the Saints probably had the, the higher DVOA on this one, but how did that they one They did. Out? The Saints did have the higher DVOA on this one even though the Falcons actually gained more yards per play, 6.4 to 5.4. But the Saints had the higher success rate, and the Falcons had a little bit of fumble luck. They recovered all three of the fumbles in this game. They recovered two of their own fumbles and one fumble by the Saints. So Corderell Patterson's been very interesting this year. He's been really good as a receiver, not as good as a runner. But the problem with Patterson was always that he couldn't run a full root tree and, you know, props to the Falcons for figuring out what he can do and letting him do that. Um, you know, he runs lots of go routes. Yeah. And we were talking about on our podcast here uh, earlier that I was on with Scott that it seemed like every release from a fantasy perspective, that was the name you would hear for three or four straight years. Like the sleeper, Cordero Patterson, he's a big sleeper, going to have a big year, going to have a big year. and Was never able to put it together. And then here we are, what, eight years later and. And he's having the best year of his career and really helping the Falcons out a ton. They're at, I didn't even realize they were at 500. Um, we've kind of come on in contention, you know, maybe for a wild card. I think I looked, FO had them around 5 6% to make the, the playoffs total. Um, but more than what I would have expected after the first few weeks. Yeah, they're pretty low at DVOA. Despite being 4-4, four and four, they're 31st. So a lot of that is from week one when they got keelhauled by the Philadelphia yeah. Eagles. But uh, I don't think the Falcons are a particularly good team, but they have snuck their way to four and four because essentially all the close games that they lost in 2020, they're winning in 2021. It's not like they're a better team. They're just having much better luck. Yeah. And most of their wins, aside from the one this weekend, I think the other three were against like bottom five uh, DVOA teams. Like when I was doing the matchup preview for their game yeah. with, either the Dolphins, the Jets, whoever it was, Panthers, they played, I think, last week, two weeks ago. They were all against bottom barrel teams. But, you know, the Saints without Drew Brees or without uh, Jameis Winston, you know, hurts a little bit. But still, I guess a good defense, very good defense. So, impressive. Uh, the Ravens and the Vikings. Ravens winning in overtime, an exciting game. Vikings led most of the game until the fourth quarter when Lamar Jackson led two scoring drives that gave the Ravens a 31 to 24 lead. And then Kirk Cousins responded with a touchdown pass to Adam Thielen to set up overtime because the Vikings are the Vikings and they are always going to play close games, whether they win or lose. And more often they seem to lose, but they're the Vikings. So all the games are close and they intercepted Lamar Jackson in overtime, but then they couldn't move the ball. So Baltimore got the ball back. Let's talk about the Lamar Jackson interception, though, because that was a huge play. Yeah, they almost let it get away. They were able to overcome it. But opening possession of overtime, 
647 left. You know, they're driving down, taking up almost, you know, quite at least three minutes at this point. They're down to the Minnesota 33. So a makeable field goal, especially for Justin Tucker at that point, even looking at 51 yards, it's really, really kind of a piece of cake for him. Um, and pass, Anthony Barr makes a great play, kind of just sticks his hand up, tips it, ball comes down, catches it, um, able to get the interception. It was the second most impactful play of the week. It cost the Vikings or the, the Ravens 38.5% win probability. So fortunately for Baltimore, the Vikings couldn't really do anything with that. They'd get the ball back, and Justin Tucker is now 17-0 and on field goals in the last four minutes or in the last minute of fourth quarter and overtime. I think I saw he did have the extra point miss against New Orleans back a few years ago. but. This game, you know, kind of the opposite, not really the opposite, but the Saints had the big comeback but weren't able to win at Baltimore. You know, they were as low as 9.9%, just under 10% after Lamar threw the interception in the second quarter. They were able to get it to a seven-point game at halftime. They were up to 26. They still weren't favorites to win. Minnesota got the ball in the second half, ran the kickoff back, taking them down to 13. Uh, but then Harbaugh kind of did what he does and a couple fourth down, uh, fourth and short in his own territory, went for it. Uh, which we obviously agreed with in those situations. Um, one was from his own 27, which was a little surprising maybe to people outside of kind of our, you know, what we do. Fourth and one at their own 27. They were only down seven. There was still two or three minutes left in the third quarter. I think it was 220. Um, and he chose to go for it, which from him and some of those guys, um, like him, even Zach Taylor this year has had a couple of those, Brandon Staley. Um, no really shock for us, maybe to people just based on the time left but went for it. And then, um, yeah, from there, they, they converted a few of those, converted a big third and 15, I think it was like a 12% increase. Gave up the touchdown late, but were able to to win it in overtime, overcoming that interception. The defense stepped up to get the ball back for Justin Tucker. Yeah, it was a really kind of an interesting game because uh, the Vikings actually outgamed the Ravens and they had the big special teams plays, which you don't often get mm -hmm. against the Ravens. But there was a huge gap in success rate, 56% for the Baltimore offense and only 39% for the Minnesota offense. So the Minnesota wow. offense was really boom and bust, whereas Baltimore really, you know, moved the ball pretty steadily, and but also had the two turnovers. Yeah, see, Baltimore, uh, Minnesota started off pretty hot early. I think it was, what, 14, nothing, 14 to three, whatever, in the first quarter early into the game, and then kind of seemed like they stalled the rest of the game, say Kirk Cousins, and then really couldn't get much going uh, the rest of the game until, you know, they were able to tie it up. At least it didn't come down to another field goal for the Vikings. You know, they didn't have to kick it. It ended up being the Ravens. But, but yeah, like you said, close game, it seems like every single week, every single year, it seems like the Vikings are involved in just these close games, heartbreaking losses, you know, two weeks in a row now that they kind of, kind of blew it. Another close one was Chargers over Eagles. And this one came down to the play calling of head coach Brandon Staley, who's been aggressive on fourth downs all year. The final drive of the game for the Chargers led to our top two best coaching decisions of the week. Let's talk about them. Yeah, fourth down, fourth and one at the Philly 39, 248 left. Got a chance to kick a field goal to take the lead. It's tied at 24 at this point. But Staley, kind of so not really surprising from him based on what we've seen this year, um, but kind of surprising in the fact that he's a, he's a defensive-minded guy. And a lot of times you see some of those guys kind of tend to be more conservative, um, wanting to trust their defense, but he, you know, has, has kept his foot on the pedal all year long, goes for it. It was a 19.5% increase in pre-snap win probability. So this comes in at number two on the season. Number one this week, he's just behind Matt LaFleur against Arizona. Last week, 
they pick up the first down, they move, keep going, uh, run down a little bit more time. Philadelphia uses all their timeouts, gets past the two-minute warning. And then the one that iced the game, neither team has a timeout. Fourth and one again at the, tw- the Philly 28 this time, goes for it again knowing that minute 40, you kick that field goal and go up three, a minute 40, still a lot of time for especially fourth quarter Jalen Hurts. You know, it seems like he's, they're always putting up some some points there and and uh, moving the ball down the field. But this situation, he knew that the only way to guarantee that they would have the, the last chance is to go for it. And they went for it, converted it again. This time, Justin Herbert up the middle. This was a 15.7% increase. So nearly 35% between um, or over over 35% between those two decisions, uh, an increase in win probability by Brandon Staley. So really just a great showing by him, the end of the game, knowing what it takes to win um, and, and trusting his offense and putting the ball in his, his best player's hands. Yep. Uh, we love Brandon Staley. I mean, I've, what else is there to say? The guy is amazing when it comes to doing things that analytics says you should do. And um, he's got his team to five and four. So quite the wild card race, quite the playoff race in the AFC. And one of the interesting things about yesterday, by the way, the AFC was AFC was something like six and one against the NFC yesterday. Um, sort of an unspoken uh, background to what happened in the games yesterday. It was kind of weird, but AFC teams just kept beating up on NFC teams, whether it was an upset like Denver-Dallas or a game that everyone expected to go that way, like the Patriots and the Panthers. Yep. But the Giants, Uh, I think, were the only win over the Raiders. Is that right? Giants were the only NFC win. Yep, Giants over the Raiders. Uh, Let's talk about another close game although this one was less of a like it came down to the end um, because the Jaguars had a lead over the Bills for quite a while. I mean, you just kept expecting, well, of course the Bills will come back. It's nine to six. Like they're going to score a touchdown. Of course they're going to come back and score a touchdown. And they couldn't come back and score a touchdown. Mm -mm. Similar to kind of last week, it's like with the Dolphins, they struggled throughout the whole game. They finally were able to put it together and win by 15 in that yeah, one. And I was the same. I was watching. Be able to put it together. Yeah, I'm watching this one. You know, just expecting, just like, all right, they're going to end up winning by 10 points. Now they're going to put together a couple scoring drives. But, but no, this one just low scoring game, no touchdowns in this one. Said the Bills heavy favorites. Urban Meyer had a few good calls in this one. You know, he had one bad one that comes after this one. But first is our fifth best fourth down go of the week. Early in the fourth quarter, he's got fourth and one at the 11, the Buffalo 11. Tied at six, decides to go for it instead of kicking the field goal just to go up three. So a little surprising, not necessarily because Urban Meyer's been really bad on fourth downs this year. He really hasn't been terrible. He's had some really good decisions going for it. But just kind of just looking at the context, I'm I'm thinking as this is happening, you know, they're Buffalo. They have a chance to take a lead against Buffalo. Neither teams look great all day. You know, the defensive battle. Um, or maybe lack of offensive battle. Not, I didn't see a whole lot of that game, but chose to go for it. Going for the touchdown, at least to extend the drive. It was an 8% increase in win probability prior to the snap, and they converted it. Got three yards, ended up having a fourth and goal, and uh, choosing to kick the field goal. It wasn't that big of an error. It's not in our top five. I think it was maybe around like 2%, one and a half, um, something like that. But still, this one, choosing to, to go for it from the eleven was a, like I said, the fifth best of the week. Um, and then they would go on to hurt the Bills' chances in our third most impactful play of the weekend, which this is something, you know, people may be tired of, of hearing it now, but 
Josh Allen on Josh Allen crime. And it's just defensive Josh Allen from University of Kentucky here, our home state here in the, at Edge Sports, but putting on a, a clinic to yesterday with an interception of Josh Allen. He sacked Josh Allen. And that's what this one was, the sack for a loss of nine yards, taking the Buffalo from third and seven at the Jacksonville 39 to fourth and 16 at their own at the Jacksonville 48 uh, with just over a minute remaining. It was a 28.3% decrease in win probability. Again, our third most impactful play of the week and that fourth down, you know, ended up sealing the game. Um, they were able to, to stop it, stop the uh, stop them on fourth down and come away with the, the big time upset. Although that's a game that we did. Didn't say the Jaguars are going to win, obviously, but we uh, at edge, our model had this as closer to an eight point game than a 14 or 15 point game that was in the market. So thought this was going to be a lot closer. Did not expect the Jaguars win, uh, but they were able to pull it out. Yeah, Bill's the most inconsistent team in the league this year. I mean, that win over uh, wins over Miami and Houston by just colossal amounts and then three losses, including to Jacksonville. Kind of nuts. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned quickly Denver and Dallas, the, another mm-hmm. loss that no one really saw coming and a bit of an up and down game for Mike McCarthy. Let's talk a little bit about Mike McCarthy on fourth downs. Yeah, so he's only going to show up in our top fives on our worst decisions, um, which is kind of misleading this week. But it was uh, very, right at the end of the first quarter, three seconds left. It was fourth and one on their own 45. They're down six to nothing. He chose to punt. Cost him 5.6% in pre-snap win probability. Ends up being our top error of the week. Part of that, because so many coaches made good decisions, that they're the biggest error at 5.6 really isn't all that bad. It's still an error. But what's interesting here is he had already – this was our third possession. Yep. He'd already gone for it twice on fourth down. Fourth and one at the Denver 38, I think. Fourth and two at the 20. Got and stopped. Failed. So Failed yeah, the so, first so, two times. So I think this yes. is a little bit of gambler's fallacy where he felt like or, – or not gambler's fallacy because that would be that he thought he would make it. It was more like yeah. he may have failed the first time. All right, you know what? Without Tyron Smith at left tackle, we're not going to be able to do this. Let's punt. Yeah, so that one, you know, the first couple were, uh, you know, good decisions. And then after this, later in the game, they were down, I think, 19 to nothing at this point, third quarter, though. He chose to go for it again from his own 40 on fourth and one. Kind of a desperation, but still a situation where a lot of times we'd see a coach just punt, kind of get like we saw with McVay choosing to just kick a field goal. Um stayed aggressive and kept a minute. So I think those three combined were close to eight or 10% in pre-snap win probability increases. Um, so three out of four on the day, uh, you know, overall had a pretty good showing. Just that one is going to stand out as the worst of the week in kind of a down week for errors, which we love to see. We love when those errors, those top errors are pretty low because it means coaches are, are making the right decision more often than not. Well, it'll be interesting to see where McCarthy lands when we uh, debut the Edge Sports Coach Rankings. So everybody should watch for the uh, Edge Sports Coach Rankings coming on Wednesday with Ian and Katie George. Are you excited to finally debut Coach Rankings for the year? Absolutely. I've kind of been getting some sneak peeks each week just to to check in on how things are going. We don't debut them. Obviously, we're about halfway through the season just uh, to get a, a little bit of a bigger sample size under our, under our belts and get those out. But I've got an idea of who's going to be at the top. And, and I, I think, you know, some people will be surprised at who's at the top in the, the critical call index portion, which, as you know, is one of its comprised. I would be shocked of, if it is anyone other than Brandon Staley. He will be. I haven't looked today, but I guarantee he will be up, especially with those two big decisions helping him. Um, don't be surprised if 
you know, a Dan Campbell is up there, not necessarily overall coach rankings, but the CCI that is looking just at fourth down decisions because he's been kind of mocked and criticized for being too aggressive. But we've agreed with, I think, every fourth down decision he's made, you know, um, he knows that his team isn't very good, They're, that they have to, you know, take every advantage that they can to win. And he's been aggressive and we've, our models like this decision. So don't be surprised to see some of those guys a little bit higher than you think. And then some of those guys like, uh, I don't know, Bill Belichick, uh, Bruce Arians, maybe a little bit lower as you, you could probably expect some other, some of our viewers might be surprised to see them lower than the, or as low as they are, I would imagine. Belichick close to the most conservative coach in the league at this point. Very strange. We'll see him uh, here coming up in the next few minutes too. Uh, let's talk about uh, most impactful plays of the week. And uh, we apologize. We don't have our cool graphics that we normally have, but uh, also, you know, if you're no, watching this live, please feel free to ask questions about any of these plays or any of these games. Uh, we covered our top three impactful plays already. Tell, tell us about impactful plays five and four. Yeah, and it looks like we actually do have our graphics up. Thank you, Oh, Phillip. we do have our graphics. Get those yes, wonderful. awesome. Philip and Eric there, awesome. Uh, so, yeah, number five, Raiders, Giants. This was into the game, uh, second and 10 at the Giants, 13. Raiders knocking on the door to score a touchdown and try and tie it with a touchdown, an extra point. Only 44 seconds left, no timeout. So even if they, you know, something happens here, they've got the game's over if they don't get it. Instead of getting three shots, I guess they would have had – they had a second shot. Derek Carr is sacked, fumbles, and recovered by the Giants for ending the game at that point, dropping them from 24.5 down to 0%. And then number four, Bengals and Browns. So this was the game, or the, the opening drive. Bengals are driving down, looking pretty good, moving down the field, uh, running up, coming down on six minutes on this drive, fourth, third and goal at the Cleveland three. And then Denzel Ward takes Joe Burrow's pass, 99 yards, Back to the house, as I mentioned, one of four uh, pick sixes that I saw yesterday. I think there were only four yesterday, or not only, but there were four of them. This was the first one very early in the day. This was a long one, though, 99-yard yep. pick six. Yeah, it was 26.7% uh, increase or increase for Cleveland, drop for Cincinnati. Also, I think I was reading NFL, one of their stats, uh, Cleveland is only the fourth team to have a defensive touchdown, a rush, and passing touchdown of over 60 yards. Um, in one game, the last three came in two and 66, one and 67. So pretty cool feat there with with Chubb just running away in that game, 170 some yards, I think. And Peoples Jones kind of becoming a go to guy for for Baker Mayfield the last couple of years. Um, yeah, this one was a, coming in number four at 26.7. Number three was Bills and Jaguars. We mentioned the Allen sack of Allen. Uh, cost Buffalo 28.3% in win probability, effectively or almost ending the game, forcing that fourth down there. And then the Ravens-Vikings, we mentioned this one as well. The, these next two, the number two and number one we mentioned, it was the Lamar Jackson interception. And overtime by Anthony Barr was worth 38.5% in win probability. And then the Falcons, Matt Ryan's pass to Cordero Patterson was 50.9. Good for the most impactful play of the week. The only positive play for the offense in our top five this week. All right, let's talk about the uh, coaching decisions and the best coaching decisions from this week. Again, we've covered a couple of these already, but let's talk about the top five coaching decisions, starting with the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, this one's pretty much a no-brainer. We've kind of covered this one before. Opening drive, the Chiefs just uh, about a seven-point favorite here, um, I think is what they closed at. 
going against the Packers without Aaron Rodgers. First drive, fourth and one at their own 45, coming up on midfield and offense like that. It's pretty much a no-brainer to go for it. Uh, we see a lot of coaches, though, as we'll get to on our worst decisions, uh, don't make the right decision here. But this was good for a 5.2% increase in pre-snap win probability. They were able to pick up 11 yards, get the first down, and went on to score uh, an early touchdown. The only touchdown of that, or the only touchdown for Kansas City uh, in that game, a little bit surprising. But like Green Bay defense actually Kansas surprised City's me. Offense, Kansas City's offense is 25th in DVOA over the last five weeks. Yeah, and one thing I was Scott and I were talking about earlier, um, I know I think you had mentioned and maybe we talked about it last week was that. Without turnovers, Kansas City was top five, maybe. Is that right? Going into the last Well, they weekend? were, but I mean, if you include the first four weeks, but not if you only look at the last five weeks, no, they're just not. Gotcha. Yeah, but I their was very surprised. Been, they're like, at first it was like, oh, so many turnovers, so many turnovers. But what's happened over the last few games is the offense has completely stagnated and it has nothing to do yeah. with turnovers. There weren't any turnovers in this game. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Without even being able to generate turnovers – you know, to hold hold that offense. But you said they just haven't been good. And I think it's – it's you look at teams like, you know, the Titans. They have the – or the, the Bills had the big win over the Chiefs. Um, but I think people even not looking at the numbers just assume and kind of credit the Chiefs as still being one of those top teams in the league. I'm not saying that they're not. You know, talent-wise, I think they still can be one of the best teams, but they haven't performed that way. And it's just – it's not as big of a feat to – you know, hold that offense as low or to beat them as it has been in the last couple of years. Kansas City, 18th in DVOA right now. Wow. They are 11th on offense, 28th on defense, and number one on special teams. Hmm. So if they can just get those other two going, then they're, <laughs> they'll be right back up there. But yeah, he made the right decision. So given, given the fact that his offense is, is struggling going against a, a team in Green Bay that probably wasn't going to be able to get much done, even against a bad defense, and they didn't. Um, was good for number five. Number four was the Lamar Jackson or the Ravens Lamar Jackson run on fourth and one at their own 27. This is the one I said, 220 left in the third quarter. Still a lot of football left, 17 plus minutes, only down seven. Harbaugh making a great decision here to go for it, increasing their win probability by 5.6. It's about a 25% relative increase. Um, they were at 20, 20% if they punt up to 26% by going for it. So made the right decision there, was able to, to pull off the comeback in part due to some of that aggressive, uh, aggressive play calling or decision making by John Harbaugh. And then number three is another one we covered. Uh, Jacksonville tied at six, fourth and one at the Buffalo 11. Urban Meyer goes for it, good for an 8% increase in pre-snap win probability. Number two and number one are also the ones we just covered. No surprise. Brandon Staley and the Chargers, good for 15.7% and 19.5% increase from the Philly 28 and 39, respectively there. And interestingly, all of our top five decisions this week uh, were successful fourth down goes. So they were sometimes, a lot of times, they'll, they'll be good decisions, but they don't work out. And in this case, um, every single team won as well. So they were successful and they went on to win the game. All right. Don't forget, if you're watching us live on YouTube and Twitch, please don't just subscribe to our videos and channels, but comment during the show. We want questions from you about the games we're talking about. Let's talk about the worst five decisions of the week. These we have uh, mostly not gone through yet. Yeah, I think number one is the only one we've talked about. But number five, Raiders down four, fourth and three at the Giants, seven, nine and a half minutes left. 
choosing to kick the field goal was uh, costing 3.6% in win probability. And um, I forget who it was on Twitter that had used some of our data today and, and posted, you know, our saying our, our top five errors covering the Raiders and got some responses of people, you know, saying if they make the field goal there, they only need a field goal to win instead of needing seven. Um, but that's kind of, that's assuming that you don't give up another field goal or a touchdown in this situation. You know, a field goal still brings you within one. Yes, you can win it with a field goal if you hold them, or you can win it with a touchdown if they score a field goal. But you're at the seven-yard line. I mean, you're you're that close. You you've got it, and you don't even need to score a touchdown. You've got three yards to go to get the first down. It's not as big of an error as we might see in other weeks because you know it's number five. It's at three point six. I mentioned not a ton of errors, but still, based on those teams, it's an error nonetheless to kick the field goal there. And then to make matters worse, Daniel Carlson missed it. Excuse me. Yeah, that was probably Josh Dubow who mentioned it on Twitter. He uses a lot of our stuff. Yep, that is right. Um, So moving on to number four, I mentioned we'll see Bill Belichick here. You mentioned uh, close to the most conservative coach in the league. On his opening drive of the game, fourth and one at his own 45, just like the Chiefs, he chooses to punt the ball first quarter early. This costs 3.8% in win probability and I don't think people were too surprised about this, but from what I saw, people were not happy with this decision. No, at this point, this is just the way it is, and it's just the way it is. Yep. It's, we'll see if he can change, but as I, I feel mentioned, about Belichick kind of, the same way that Seattle fans feel about Pete Carroll when it comes to the analytics. He's just not going to go for it. It's just not going to happen. Absolutely. Yep. And when he, he does and doesn't get it, you know, that just gives him a little bit more fuel to the fire. Talking Carroll, not necessarily Belichick, but – but use those as the example of, aha, see, this is why I want to trust my defense, whatever it is. But, yeah, it's the numbers show that it's better to go for it, and some guys just won't come around to it. So coming in then at number three, well, it, we have a tie at number two at 4.9% win probability decrease. The first one I'll cover is the Texans and Dolphins. Texans are down 17-6. There's 11 and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter. This is one – we were talking earlier. I didn't think this was even a thing anymore to kick a field goal on fourth and goal from the one. And I think that the reasoning maybe for David Coley is I'm down 11. A field goal gets it to eight where I get a field goal and a, or a touchdown and two, two point conversion ties it. Right. Well, the problem one, is that on the next drive, when you need that touchdown, what's the likelihood you're going to make it down to the one? Absolutely. You're already at the one. And that, and that's, you know, also the same thing with the giants and, and Raiders I was talking about. If, that's if you hold them and keep them from scoring. If you kick the field goal there, okay, you're down eight. If they score a field goal, you're back in the same position with less time left. Um, whereas you go for the touchdown, you know, you go for two. Even if you don't get it, um, you know, you're down five. They get a field goal. You can still get a touchdown and two-point conversion to tie. So this one, really not much of an explanation. Um, I don't know whatever excuse you can make. It just I don't think it's going to work. Um, and I mentioned earlier, too. This is the same coach who declined a penalty on third down to make it fourth down to punt instead of going for it again on third down. So he's had whatever, his, his whatever excuse you can make. I don't think it's going to work is, by the way, the subtitle of the Houston Texans NFL films best of 2021. video. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot going on down there. It's been uh, a rough year. Got to ride Taylor back. Um, didn't really seem to help him too much, even against Miami. Nope, he sucked. Yeah, that was a. I think it was you that missed in DFS play. I did the same thing. And yep, did not end work. up working. <laughs> <laughs> so, moving on then to number two, the one we have here is a tie. 
Andy Reid on the opposite side. There's a little bit more of an argument, I think, to be made against this one about maybe punting it. You know, it's still – either way you look at it, it's a fourth and one. It's Kansas City, but they're at their own 29. They're up 7 nothing, two and a half minutes left. Going against a Green Bay team, the offense, it's not – you know, have really no fear of them at this point with Jordan Love under center. But still, it cost them 5% at 4.9% in pre-snap win probability. Got lucky. It looked like uh, the returner for Green Bay got blocked, pushed, kind of fell on the ball. Glanced off his foot, and Kansas City was able to recover. Only got a field goal out of So, again, going to your your point, you know, that offense just not being very good this year. Something – not sure what's going on there, but first and goal at the 10 and able to uh, just get a field goal out of it. But the decision to go for it in the first – or to punt there – was a 4.9% error. And then number one was the Mike McCarthy. Fourth and one at his own 45 into the first quarter was a 5.6% decrease in win probability. All right, let's talk a little bit about Monday night football. Uh, don't forget you can check out all these top fives every week at the edgesports.com top five editorial section, edjsports.com for the Edge Sports website. All right, Bears and Steelers. Steelers looking to stay even uh, with all the other AFC contenders who beat NFC teams this week. Um, Steelers are favored by seven right now. Over-under is 39. Uh, I actually picked this one over for the ESPN best bets because 39 is a really, really low number. And the Bears' defense is nowhere near as good as you think it is. It is 21st in the league in DVOA. Yeah, we've got this one. Um, there's, we don't really see a ton of value, at least in the spread. Uh, market line last month was seven yeah. in favor of Pittsburgh. Our fair value is right at seven. Um, so really nothing there. If anything, maybe – a slight, slight edge in Chicago's favor. Yeah, this uh, one Echo Plus has a slight edge in Chicago's favor. Yeah, we've got about 2% more outcomes uh, at, at Chicago losing by six or less or winning than, the, than uh, Pittsburgh winning by eight or more. Um, second most common outcome is Pittsburgh by seven, right, at 4.6%. Um, so really nothing there. We're with you as well on the, the total. Uh, you mentioned market line 39, 39 and a half. We've got it at 44 points. Um, so, you know, still not a lot of scoring, but expect it to go over that low number of 39. It's coming in. The chances of going over 39 points is 65.9%. So almost two out of three of our simulations have this game going over the market total. The public, everyone is pretty much, or the majority are on Pittsburgh, 63% of the bets, 68% of the money. So really no divergence there at all. So. Seems like, you know, Pittsburgh to win, we've got them straight up, 72% win probability, almost three out of four, and really nothing in the spread, but the over seems to be um, the better value there for tonight. The other thing I took for ESPN best bets was the <clears throat> Allen Robinson under prop. Allen Robinson has been terrible this year. What's the yardage on that one? I think yardage it, is, it is 37.5. Okay. Yeah, he is. So I've got him in the loser Definitely. league too this year, this week. So. Okay. I it's did pretty a, well. Not a good year for I was trying to track everything yesterday yeah. and hoping to can't win anything, obviously, but doing pretty well. I think I'm top twenty. I know you're still up there, sitting number one on the season. I to forgot to change out James Robinson before the Jaguars game, so I'm going to pull penalty. 
And Jeremy McNichols got seven carries. So he's one carry away from from being from, but I got a penalty for him too. So kind of a bummer. All right. Thank you everybody for joining us for our big Monday live stream. Don't forget we are here every weekday, 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, 11 Mountain, streaming on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, thanks to Todd Singer, Hitchhiker's Pie, everybody who comments throughout the show. Don't forget to listen afterwards on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network. Tomorrow, Scott Spratt and Derek Klassen talking about your fantasy waiver wire for week 10. And don't forget, as I've mentioned a couple times today, FO Plus now on sale, just 99 cents a week for an annual subscription. Limited time offer, getting you all of our stats, fantasy football research information, betting, picks against the spread. Don't miss out. 99 cents a week. Footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe. Or you can click on the link in the description of the show. Ian, thank you so much for joining me as always. Thanks for having me. And uh, we'll have Mike Tanier helping you out next Monday as I'll be on a little mini vac vacation uh, attending the Kansas City Las Vegas game. And uh, I'll be back Wednesday, though, so two days from now, with Mike Tanier and Vince Verhey to do the Ask Me Anything show. So Scott tomorrow, me, Mike, and Vince on Wednesday. And uh, enjoy Monday Night Football tonight, everybody.